audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I want to welcome you here again. What a privilege it is that we get to do this each and every week. I want to thank you guys for leading us this morning. Um, Before we dive in, I I wanted to say something real quick. If you are here and you don't have a Bible, we would love to change that. We'd love to give you one. Uh, If you're here and you just didn't bring one, there should be one right around you. It's black and hardback, so don't steal someone else's. But if you see a black and hardback one, grab that one. Feel free, use that one. We'd love that. But if you're here and you don't own one, uh, we would love to give you one. We've had the privilege of giving away cases of these since we've launched, and there is no greater privilege for our church. So please, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to change that. Grab it and, uh, and take it home with you. All right, church, we have been on quite a journey together for, through 1 Corinthians so far. And over the past several months, we've seen Paul dealing with some pretty large issues in this church, in this young church. And in, in, you can't help but get the feeling like this is a letter of rebuke. And you can't help but feel that way because it is that. Uh, it is that. We have seen this church who was experiencing quite a bit of division. And that division was harming the witness of the gospel. We've seen this church that was experiencing quite a bit of chaos. And that chaos was harming the witness of the gospel. And overall, what this letter has been is Paul saying, come back in loving correction, bringing them back to right doctrine and practice, what they believe and what they do, bringing them back to gospel centrality, just calling them back. And if we were to pan out a little bit, I want to give you a little bit of a structure that we can work through with this letter. So it starts with, in the first few verses, a simple gospel presentation, verses 1 through 9 of chapter 1. Then Paul quickly moves into the correction and rebuke portion that spans from that point on all the way through to chapter 14. And then we get to chapter 15, which ends the same way we begin with a simple gospel presentation. A way to think about this is 1 Corinthians has gospel bookends. And all in the middle is gospel application and correction, but on these ends, it's just pure gospel bookends. And this morning, we get to step in into the gospel bookend in chapter 15. So uh, this is such a beautiful and important text, and I just want us to dive in together. Let's get to work. Uh, Let's start verse 1 in chapter 15. What I'm going to do is just walk through this kind of little by little, uh, just little by little. So verse 1 says, now I would remind you, brothers. I just want to stop here. You're like, you really meant little by little. Yes, I did. We just dropped out of this immense correction and rebuke. And now Paul says, now, now, brothers, out of love, I want to remind you. I, I know that I just dropped a ton of corrections. I know you're working through issues with division. I know you're having issues in understanding uh, the gospel, sexuality, marriage, idolatry. I know you're even having issues in your worship services. And I know that I just laid you bare in some areas. I know that. And while that conviction is still hot, 
Paul says, now brothers, I want to remind you. In other words, don't forget the core of all of this. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. I know that we live in a very different culture from the ancient city of Corinth, and I get that. But I want you to remember, just for a moment, think back to that moment when you heard the gospel and for the first time you responded to it. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, think back of that time when you encountered the good news, preached, and you responded. For those of you who know what I mean, you remember that moment when your eyes just began to to open. And hear me, it wasn't that you knew all the answers. It wasn't even that you knew all the right words. It wasn't any of, it wasn't, it wasn't even that you were, that you knew what you were to do with it. <laughs> all you knew is in that moment, all you knew was Jesus, and that's all that really mattered. All that really mattered is that you knew Jesus, and in that moment, the only thing that filled our mind was the simple fact that God loved you, he sent his son to die for you, so that now you're forgiven of your sins through Jesus. Now you're adopted into the family through Jesus and now you spend eternity with Jesus. And all that other stuff, as important as it is, all of the other stuff just seems to kind of fade away in that moment. And as cliche as this sounds, in that moment, Jesus is and was enough. And Paul says, brothers, sisters, while the conviction's still hot, Think back, remember back to that simple and beautiful gospel. All of these Christians were young. All of them were new to their faith. And Paul is saying, church, protect yourself from drifting. Protect yourself from adding to or taking away, replacing or neglecting the simple gospel that I preached to you. So right off the bat, I just want to encourage us with the same thing protect ourselves from drifting. Now, here is the main point of the passage that we're about to, we're going to continue to walk through. I just want to give it all the way at the beginning. It doesn't mean you can't, or you're going to stop listening though, all right? But I'm going to give it all away. Here's what he is about to say. Here is our message. The gospel is central. To your past, present, and future, the gospel is central. And some of you are here and you think, well, of course it is. But hang on with me this morning. Hang in there with me because this is so pivotal for our life and our tendency is to drift. So hang in there with me. Let's continue on. So now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. We're going to take this phrase by phrase, which you received. Um, notice a couple things. Notice that this word, this which you received, is past tense. And notice it is active. Now let me unpack that. First, it's past tense, meaning it's something that already happened. Uh, past tense verb speaks back to, Paul is speaking back to that moment when the gospel gripped your heart. It's what we did just a few seconds ago in thinking back to what has already happened. Think back to that moment you responded to the gospel. This church is a reference to conversion. And Paul says, remember back 
Think back. That moment when you went from death to life, new birth, new life. Also, I want you to notice that this word is active. And here's what I mean. It's not passive. So passive would be like the way you catch the flu. Active would be like the way you catch a baseball. Because when we're talking about the flu, you don't really catch anything. It catches you. You're pretty passive in that moment. You don't passively catch a baseball. You are active. You must act to catch it. So our word receive here is an active word. Paul is reminding them of the time when they placed their faith in Jesus and responded to the gospel. And the way he phrases it is received the gospel. And I love this because it shows the beautiful role we have in salvation. Because nothing is received that isn't first given. And what I mean by this is we, we cannot respond unless the word is proclaimed. We can't catch a baseball unless someone first throws the baseball. So active in receiving implies we have a God who is active in giving. And our role is to receive what he gives. And we know the truth is that our relationship with God, that God loves us, that he gave his son for us, that Jesus' life was not taken but it was given. And we know that the Spirit is the one who works in our hearts, opening our eyes and our ears and transforming our heart. Praise God that our God is active. Praise God. And our call is to actively receive what has been actively given. That's the power of the gospel. And this is how Paul paints this picture of conversion. Paul reminds them and us, the gospel that you have received and reminds us of that our gospel saves, and then we continue on. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, in which you received, now listen to this, in which you stand. In which you stand. Notice again here our verb, stand. This is a present tense verb. This is something, not that we did in the past, Not that we're going to do in the future. This is present tense, something active in our present moment. So as we think about it in our context, the gospel is not a past thing. And what I mean by this is it's not something that happened back then. It wasn't just the thing that saved you. And at the same time, the gospel is not just a future thing. That thing in the future that's going to keep you from going to the bad place when you die. It's not just a past thing. It's not just a future thing. It's a right here in the present, I'm going to stand on this thing. Our wor- in our world of complete uncertainty, the gospel is our solid ground, not just for yesterday or tomorrow, but today. Sometimes I think that we are so much better at seeing the way the gospel impacts our past and our future than we are at looking around and seeing the way it changes our life today. And Paul here reminds us, we, we say this often here, we will never graduate from the simple gospel. There's no graduate course. Like you don't hear it enough and then, okay, now what? We don't graduate from the simple gospel. This is why we have ridiculous signs that say, gospel-centered, 
because it's the milk for the new believer, it's the meat for the mature believer. It's, it's our sustenance, it's the thing that saves you. It's the thing that will save you for all eternity, and it's the thing that we stand on in the meantime. The gospel is life. The gospel is life. Not just back then, not just in the future, but for today. We're going to come back to that in a moment, but let me continue on. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and then Paul says, and by which you are being saved. So let's do some work on this one. This is an interesting verb, because not only is this a present tense verb, but this is a present tense verb that has ongoing implications and significance. This verb implies future. Here's what I mean. It's like saying we're getting rain. Okay, so yes, that implies that it is indeed raining now, but that also implies that the rain is continuing on. It's this process. Well, the same thing is here in our text now, because in our text here, because salvation is here and now we're standing on it, and yet it has profound future implications until that salvation reaches its completion in the day of the Lord. So it is for our past, it is for our present to stand on, and it continues on into the future. Notice again that this is also not an active word like the, the last two verbs. Instead, this is passive. So what that means is a passive verb means that the action's being done to us, being done to the subject, meaning we are being saved, not doing the saving. Does that make sense? Because this is really important. We are actively receiving the gospel, amen. We are actively standing on the gospel, but don't you think for a minute that you're the active agent in your salvation. Our God is the active agent in salvation. And so Paul reminds us, you are being saved. See, we we see that the gospel saves us, that it is our solid ground for our life today, and it will be completed one day when we stand before Jesus. There is this beautiful spread here in this verse of how the gospel impacts our lives in our past, in our present, in our future. And I want to highlight something before we continue. I want to go a little deeper. It got me thinking about two serious tendencies that we have in our, in, I'll say our church, we'll own this, in our church, but in the church as well. And I want to dig into this a little bit. The first tendency when we think about the gospel, is to think about the gospel as only a past thing. As only, I don't know if you've ever felt that, or if you would be honest enough to admit you felt that, but it's that feeling, that tendency to think that the gospel is what saved us, changed our life when we received it, yay and amen to that, but now we think as we mature, we now graduate from the simple gospel and we move on to more mature things. Those deeper things. Now, I am, don't get me wrong, I love deep things. Love it. I love it. But please understand, as we said, you and I, we are never going to graduate from the simple gospel. Paul says, remember it. It is our everything. If we think of the gospel as a back then and there thing, our faith often becomes dry. 
we often think of ourselves as being kind of self-sufficient. It leads us, almost without exception, to some form of a morality-based religion. What I mean by that is, he saved you, now let's do this and not do this. That's what religion becomes. And our conversion to Christianity becomes this dry religious memory of that time when the gospel gripped my heart, but now, now I just kind of go for the deeper things and, I, and it's dead. It's this religious dry memory followed by a set of do's and don'ts for us to follow. In other words, we're left with something that's no longer even Christianity. It's lifeless. And yet, I've seen it happen so many times. The Christian life is about constantly driving ourselves back to the simple gospel. Because it is our life. The gospel is our life today, our hope for tomorrow. And I will, I will add to this. Um, we also say this quite often here at Stone Oak, but we admit to being a one-trick pony. We just don't have very good tricks up our sleeves. We, we kind of have one thing. We have one thing. We have the gospel, and that is really the only thing worth coming here. It's the only thing worth it, because if, if we don't have that, we don't have anything, but since we have that, we have everything. The gospel is not a past thing. It's a joy and strength and confidence thing in our present, and it's a security in our hope for our future. It is our everything. The second tendency, though, which I think some of us might fall into much more often, is to think that the gospel is a future thing only. I'm, heard, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've heard this before, but it's this idea that, I mean, sure, the gospel saved me, but the primary purpose of God saving me is for future things. So I don't go to the bad place so that I go to the good place. It's kind of like... Um, it's like getting ready and all set, getting your estate in order before you die. Um, don't get me wrong. Praise God for the future we have in Jesus, that we don't fear death. Like, praise God for that. But, but hear me. The gospel is about life abundantly. Not cosmic fire insurance. The gospel is about life in abundance abundantly today and forever and we distort it when we think of it this way until it's almost unrecognizable when our gospel message is hey come to faith now because it's going to stink later if you don't what that is not what the scripture puts before us if we view it this way our relationship with god often becomes lifeless or fear-based jesus He's not really our Lord and Savior. He's a means to an end. Jesus is just this way to avoid cosmic, divine judgment. And that's it. What joy is there in that? We talk about the joy in following Jesus. That's not joy, that's fear. And we're to fear God. We're not to fear like that. We're not to fear like that. There are so many problems with this approach to the gospel the biggest, though, is that it's just simply not compatible with what the gospel says about following Jesus. This isn't the picture that the Bible paints for Christ followers. 
our relationship with him is not about just getting out of punishment. It's about life and life abundantly, joy unspeakable and stability through our trials in life. A rock, it's, it's hope, it is peace, it is love. The tendency to make the gospel a past thing and the tendency to make the gospel only a future thing is a misunderstanding and it's an incomplete understanding of the power of the gospel. The gospel calls us, and I want to urge you, I want to urge you, don't be content with this. As you examine your walk with Jesus, don't be content if I just described you. There is more to following Jesus. If that was it, let's go home. Let's get the fire insurance and let's go home. There's something so much more than that. Paul says, I preached the gospel to you. You received it at your conversion. Praise God for the power of the gospel that saved you. You stand on it in your present life. Praise God for the power of God in the gospel in our life today. And you're being saved until you're made perfect. And praise God for the gospel's power. We stand on it for our hope. I've heard it said, your past is settled, your present is secure, and your future is certain. Your past is settled, your present is secure, your future is certain. And that, church, is the power of the gospel in our lives. And is there any wonder why Paul just pumps the brakes and says, hey, church, remember this. Don't forget this, because if we forget this, we have nothing. But with this, we have everything. We have everything. And so Paul continues on, and he says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And then Paul continues, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. All right, church, I want to examine this together because there are some really important things here to understand. First, this last phrase that I just read is kind of an if-then conditional statement. Typically, we, we see if-then statements like if you ask nicely, then you get ice cream. Right? Um, this is different, though. What we have here is basically, I will get you ice cream if you ask nicely. Same statement, if-then statement. Um, but Paul says, I preach this gospel to you. This gospel is the power to save. It is life. It is hope. And by it, you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Pause button honest moment, that should terrify you. As I read that, that statement terrified me. Because if I hold fast, what? Are you telling me that all of that rests on my ability to hold fast? Is that what this says? Church, if you were anything like me and read it like that, have an exercise here. Take a deep breath. Breathe out. This passage here is not a text that says, you better hold on or else 
You better hold on or else you better not slip up. No, church. Paul here, his driving point is not to drive us to have this kind of superhero, perfect, unshakable faith that we can do anything. It isn't this this call to a perfect faith in order to walk the power of the gospel. Because let me just tell you in all honesty, if my salvation rested on my ability to hold fast, I would not do it and I could not do it. Neither could you. Paul's driving point here is not to drive us to a perfect and unshakable faith because we are sinners and we're completely incapable of doing that. Here's what Paul's point was. Paul's point was... His driving point was to show us that the object of our faith is perfect and unshakable. Your faith's not perfect and unshakable, but the object of your faith is perfect and unshakable, and all who hold to him will never be let down. The content of the gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that we are all sinners, all fall, all fall short, that we are all needing restoration and renewal, and that our God demonstrated his great love for us by sending his son Jesus, and Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a gruesome death, and he rose. And when I say rose, he bodily and literally rose. Christ died and rose for the forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel. And if you cling to that, here's Paul's point, you will not be let down. You will not, you cannot, because he is sure, he is steady, he is true. So Paul says, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain, I want to make a simple and yet profound statement this morning. You will not, you cannot believe the gospel of Jesus Christ in vain. Let me, let me just repeat this. You cannot believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ in vain. If the object of your faith is Jesus Christ, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, if Jesus Christ is the object of your faith, your faith is not in vain, and it cannot be. In contrast, if you hold on to any other gospel, if you hold on to any other solution than church, your belief is in vain because Jesus is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And unfortunately, that flies in the faith, face of our culture. Our culture, we live in a culture that believes that all roads lead to the same place. And think about this. Um, the litmus test of our culture, the litmus test of our culture when it comes to religion is this. Is your faith genuine? That's the question. If it's genuine, awesome. We're all going to the same place. That's what the litmus, the driving question is, is, is your faith genuine? If it's good, regardless of what truth you believe in, it's going to the right place. Genuine faith is the goal. And if all roads, all faith roads, if they're genuine, they're going to lead us to the same place. So our culture asked, is your faith genuine? Unfortunately, that is not the litmus test that our scripture gives us. See, the litmus test in scripture is not, is your faith genuine? Instead, scripture's litmus test, you ready for it? Is your faith in Christ? 
is your faith in Christ. Paul is concerned here about the object of our faith. About the object of our faith, not the genuineness of our faith, the object, because it is Jesus Christ and him alone that saves. So when Paul calls us to hold fast, he's urging us to keep Christ as the object of our faith and not to replace him with any other idol, any other worldview, any other idea that is popular in our culture at the time, but to hold fast to Christ as our anchor. If we hold fast to him, it will never be in vain because faith in Jesus will never be in vain. There is this beautiful paradox here. See, Paul did not write this in order to make us fearful, to say, oh, what if I can't hold fast? What if I, like, I'm hanging on a ledge and my fingers are getting tired? What if, I, what if that's me? This wasn't Paul's point. Paul's point is to bring incredible peace, incredible confidence, and remind us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is sure and that Christ will not fail. The point of this text is not fear, it is peace, it is confidence that our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ is not in vain, no matter what our culture tells us. Now that's kind of applicable for us today. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough and it is sure. This text is not about our ability to hold him fast. This text is about the, the power of the gospel. And here's the beautiful thing here. And I want us to see this. In Christ, it is not us who hold him fast. In Christ, he will hold us fast. I want to, I want to read from John 6. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of what all he has given me, but raise it up on that last day. Let me read it again. That I should lose nothing. Jesus said this, that I should lose nothing. I need you to hear me. You are a part of that number that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The truth is that Christ is our sure and our steady anchor, and he will hold us fast until that day we see him face to face. That's the hope. And if we cling to this, Paul is assuring us it will not, it cannot be in vain. The gospel is salvation in life. Don't you dare read this verse and think, oh, what if I believe in vain? Because a belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ will never be in vain. Don't you dare read this verse and think, what if I can't hold fast? Because in Christ you are held fast. The point of this text is the gospel is power. The power to save. The power to keep us. It is the power of Christ in us. And I want to end our time in a response that's maybe a little bit different than we normally do. Uh, I want to teach you a song this morning as we close. Um, band, you guys can go ahead and come up here. And when I say teach you a song, that doesn't mean I'm going to sing at you. Don't worry about that. I want to teach you a song, though. And um, here in a moment, we're going to proclaim this truth together. We're going to sing this together. But listen, church, as the band comes up here, no matter who you are this morning, 
no matter what your past has looked like, no matter what your background, no matter what, the gospel says Christ will save you from your sin. That Christ will be your solid rock, your solid ground in this life, and that Christ will keep you to the end. That is the gospel. We who are his in Christ, he will hold us fast to the end. And I want to read this to you. I just want you to listen to this, and the band's going to teach it to us. But I just want to read this to you. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast.